Welcome back, everyone. Today, we have another CEO and founder. We're just racking Woo-hoo! up all these boss ladies in here. Um, and another and- viral LinkedIn poster. Ooh, to, yes. To give yes, a, little, viral- a little teaser. Keep listening. <laughs> Her viral LinkedIn post. Um, Shivani was so cool. And we are so excited to bring you this episode focused on just like influencing at work and getting buy-in from people um, that you work with, including dominant personalities. We talk a lot about imposter syndrome in this episode too. Absolutely. So excited to share this with you. We're not bringing you an imposter all-star moment this week because we are recording this morning and we got to get our butts into our respective stand-up meetings in one minute. So we will leave it there and excited to share this with you. Enjoy. Today, we are joined by CEO and founder of Ascend, Shivani Berry. Ascend's online leadership program teaches a community of women the skills and actionable frameworks to get buy-in, even from dominant personalities, overcome imposter syndrome, and lead. Members from companies like Facebook, LinkedIn, and Box are more confident, consistently get buy-in at all levels, and grow faster in their careers after completing the program. Ascend has been featured by Forbes. Uh, Prior to founding Ascend, Shivani was a product leader with experience in product, operations, and finance at fast-growing and established top-tier companies. She got an MBA from a Harvard Business School. Welcome, Shivani. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. I love what you both are doing, and I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm so glad to talk to you, especially because... We had like a misconnection moment last year where you reached out to me to actually participate in Ascend and, and like a rude biatch, I just, I just completely like fell off and didn't respond to your emails. So I'm so glad that we're um, repairing a relationship here and now, and we can have you on the podcast. And, um, so obviously we just gave yeah, your, your formal introduction. Totally. Um, so yeah, aside from that formal introduction, um, and our our second CEO founder, we're just having like such powerful ladies on here. Um, we'd love to just hear from you about your journey to starting Ascend and how you got there. Yeah, definitely. You know, what inspired me to start Ascend is really, I used to be in our listener shoes. And so I have led different product and business initiatives at PayPal. So large companies like PayPal and also high growth startups. And as I moved up into management, I learned how to get buy-in and motivate my teams by honestly making a lot of mistakes. Some guidance, primarily a lot of mistakes. And once I developed these skills, I felt so much more confident. I was able to move up faster in my career and impact not only my teams, but also our executives and our board of directors. And so these experiences combined with the time I spent studying at HBS to get my MBA inspired me to start Ascend. I want to elevate more women into leadership. I believe that's a big way that we see the change that we need to see in today's workplaces. But I realized that we currently learn the skills to lead and influence to trial and error. We all know that we should get people invested in our ideas, that we should speak up for ourselves, push back against dominant personalities, but we often don't because we're scared to get started or we don't know how to do it or we don't cover the time. And that's what led me to start Ascend. I was like, I want to create, and really what it is, it's a six-week online leadership program where women can have the space to develop these critical skills around leading and influencing, gaining confidence, 
in a safe space where they can push out of their comfort zone and learn with the community of other women who are going through similar challenges as them. And I'm really excited to be here. You know, imposter syndrome is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I'm excited to like dive in and have a real conversation around it. So excited that you're here. Um, and I want to just dive right in and put you on the spot and ask you about times when you felt imposter syndrome during your journey to start founding your company, which teaches women how to overcome imposter syndrome. So was there any moment where, you know, you were questioning like, who am I to be coaching women when I'm still struggling with this myself? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many, uh, you know, I think, uh, so there's been moments in my career before I started to send and moments after. So for example, I think when I was moving up in people management before starting Ascend, I felt like an imposter as a new manager. So, you know, I'd never done the job before. I didn't know if I could like support my team. And I felt so much of that self-doubt that I didn't even ask for a salary raise when I got the promotion. And I am someone who has asked for all my raises prior and like don't doesn't shy away from asking for like what I deserve. But in that moment, I didn't want my company to feel like, oh, well, we have to pay her more money. She's not worth it. Like we're going to take away the promotion. Now, a couple months later, I realized that's actually not rational. And I like to like knew how to do my job. And, you know, it's a learning process. Of course, I made mistakes, but everyone has to start somewhere on the people management experience, the path. And so I did go back and I asked for that raise. I remember I was so nervous. I was like, what if they say no? And they came back and, you know, I got the raise and I was super happy. And it it was a big learning lesson for me just around really recognizing that we all start from somewhere. We're new to something and that's normal. And it's normal to like, to like, and, and also realizing in myself, like I know how to be a manager. Yes. There's things I'm still learning, but like, I am able to like support my team and learn from them and like do more and take, put in the effort to learn how to be a better manager. So I think that's something that definitely made me feel like an imposter beforehand. And then during, um, yeah, there's still like a lot. And, and I think that's like really important to highlight because so often I hear people like, you know, it's just important to recognize like pretty much every single successful woman I know feels like an imposter at some point or the other. And it's really your ability to manage it. I think that is helpful and differentiates you. I remember last year I was at a networking event with about 30 people and we were going around this, like everybody was standing in a circle and we were going around and like introducing ourselves. And everyone took like four to five minutes to introduce themselves around like who they are, what do they do, what do they care about. And then when it came my turn, I sped through my introduction in 30 seconds because I didn't want to take up too much of people's time. And what was really annoying is that afterwards, like when we all started mingling, people kept asking me what I did. I knew exactly what they did because they'd shared it in the introduction. And so afterwards, on a whim, I decided to post it on LinkedIn. And I ended up, the post ended up going viral. I got over 4 million views and I got so many messages from people thanking me about sharing my story, how like, you know, I learned like not to minimize myself, take up the space because if you don't feel like you deserve it, then why should anyone else? And that just helped me realize that, you know, a lot of my struggles aren't unique. I'm not that special. Not that I thought I was special earlier, but like just reinforced, like I'm not that special. And so if I'm feeling this way, then I think, I know this one else is. And that's why I think it's so important to have these conversations because the more we talk about it, the more normal it becomes. In Ascend's leadership program, one of the things that the women in the program find most valuable is like 
just realizing they're not alone. And that in itself can be so empowering. Wow. There's so much in there. I mean, I love all of that so much. Also, our second viral LinkedIn poster, Monica. This I was gonna is, say, this is- I was gonna say, <laughs> we are we are clearly just a magnets for the best of the best, like LinkedIn's most popular. That means um, we're next. That means we're gonna we're gonna get a viral. Post. I, yeah, I do. I think that we're slowly manifesting and building up to that. Yeah. So we just let's keep the vibe alive. Yeah. <laughs> keep the vibe alive. Yeah, I think um, it's always those introductions with other people that bring out imposter syndrome because it's such a direct comparison, and it's so easy to say like, "Whoa, like that person is this and this and this." Like, of course they get five minutes. Like, I'll let them go on forever. Like, but I'm just this measly. CEO and founder over here. Like, I don't want to take up any time. It's just, it's, it's so, it's such a natural, natural thing. And I'm sure that's why it resonated with so many people on LinkedIn. Cause it's, I feel like it stems back to like elementary school when you have to say your name and like your favorite animal. It's like so nerve wracking. (laughs) I don't have a favorite animal. I don't know anything. I don't know any animals. (laughs) Really favorite hobby. And I was like, I don't know. And I would just tend to like black out in those moments. And even now when it, like when I'm introducing myself really? to someone, I'm so focused on saying my own name that I can't really even focus on what the other person's saying. I remember I was on a panel a couple of years ago and we had to submit a bio and I read everyone. I said, mine was like two sentences long. Cause like, what am I going to say? I'm a software engineer. I live in LA. I have a cat, like the hit all the high notes. Um, and, and I got the other bios. I swear they were like paragraphs long for these, for these three other women. Um, and it seems like, you know, they had all like won awards or gone to graduate school or had five different jobs at the same time. And immediately it's the, it's those feelings start to circulate of like, why am I even on this panel? This is going to be so embarrassing. They're probably going to ask me to leave the stage during the panel because I have nothing to contribute. Um, And that didn't happen, but I do still have a very hard time writing bios for myself because I just have, even our, like we have wrote bios for Codesmith Taylor and I always do the same things, which is like, I'm an engineer. I live in LA. I have a cat and a lot of plants. That's the end. One thing I, I hear you, I struggle with that also. And one thing that has worked for me and like worked for a lot of members is you know, put yourself in a third party perspective. Like what would your manager say? What would your friend say? And use that to inspire in this case, your bio, or if you're feeling like an imposter or not qualified, well, what are three reasons why your manager would say that you're qualified or in your bio? Like what are three reasons why you're qualified and a great asset to the panel? I love that. And I think another reason it, it brings up so many feelings of imposter syndrome is because it's like, like, this is your highlight reel. Like this is, this is your worth. Like, and so many of us put all of our worth in our work and our accomplishments and our accolades. And if you're looking at someone else, you know, like Shivani goes, went to HBS and here we are just like, oh, wow. Like, you know, it, it's just, it's just, it's, it's these things that you see that really have nothing to do with like who you are as a person and like, shouldn't determine your value and your worth. But it's something that a lot of like high achieving women, like really really cling to because it's a way to show that you have made it and like that you belong in the, in the profession. So, um, 
So yeah, I think, I think we all definitely identify with, with the imposter feelings there. One time my, this is like a person, more of a personal note, probably not for your bios, but one time my therapist said like, cause I have these issues. Like I, I totally, I totally am like, my worth is, is my work. And she was like, this is like, she's like, this is going to be kind of dark, but like, what would you want your obituary to say? Like, like, do you want your obituary to say that you like are a software engineer? Like, that's probably not going to be the first thing that is going to be on it. And like the colleges you went to, like, you're going to want to think about like, you know, the impressions you made on people. So that's a little like, you know, probably not what you want to put in your bio for personal or for professional situations, but just, just to file away in the back of your head, that that's your work is not your worth. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I have to add, like, you know, I'm in awe of both of you because I'm like, whoa, they're engineers. And like, they like started their own podcast, which has been just, and, and even while you're on the podcast, you're, you don't feel nervous. You don't seem nervous. You're just like having fun with it and having, but at the same time having insightful conversations. And I think that just highlights how we both like looked at each other and we're like, oh, this person is great. And I'm having the same exact feelings as you are right now. Comparison is the thief of joy. Like, I wish I could just be like, wow, I admire that quality and then not take it as like a hit on my worth, you know? It's yeah, like, like so why don't difficult. I have that quality? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just accept my own qualities and not be like, I need this and this? Like, I mean, I guess this is this is how we work through that, Monica, this podcast. We're getting deep. Like, I think we've talked more than Shivani. Let's go back to like Shivani's mm. life and accomplishments. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> keep going like this. This is great. <laughs> Um, okay. So, um, I think something that you have dealt a lot with, which we haven't really covered on any podcasts is, um, like getting buy-in from peers at work and really like feeling comfortable speaking up for your own ideas and speaking up and just like getting people to get on your team. So, um, like what advice do you have? Maybe just a couple of things, maybe from the program, obviously don't give us all your secrets, but, um, what are some advice or recommendations you have to like gain support from your peers or colleagues at work? Yeah, definitely. It's one of my favorite topics. You know, <laughs> we, we talk a lot about, yeah, getting buy-in. And we were like talking about like what you can do to get buy-in. I want to just call out that we often fail to get buy-in because we wrongly assume that what's in our mind is on everyone else's mind. So we walk into a meeting and we're like, yes, prioritizing this feature or solving for this customer problem or whatever that else is for you. We're like, it's going to be so obvious to everybody else why this is the right thing to do. And that's actually usually where things fall flat and you're met with, at least like I definitely have, that's happened to me before, like as product lead, you know, I walked into a meeting and like, obviously this is going to be the right feature that we're going to prioritize. And when I pitch it, the engineers and designers on my team are just like looking at me with blank faces. Some people are just annoyed around like, where am I going with this? And it just made me realize that I hadn't really taken into context, like what was their perspective? What are their goals that they're trying to solve for? And so a couple of things to think about when you are trying to get buy-in is really putting yourself in your audience's shoes, thinking about like, who are they? Maybe it is an engineering manager, maybe it's your CEO or it's a cross-functional partner or a customer. Then think about like, what do they care about? Maybe they care about making sure like, we hit the, we launched a project on time or it's around, you, you know, like around like re- reducing tech debt or achieving the revenue targets, improving team culture. So always talk about that. And the last thing is like, what are their, their concerns going to be? So when I pitch a product feature, 
one of my engineers reaction was like, this is going to be a lot of tech debt that we're going to end up creating. Like, oh, it's going to be a lot of, you know, it's like, it's not easy to do technically. And so what is, or maybe their concerns, like, are we going to be able to hit our OKRs? How is this going to hit, achieve our roadmap? How do we have enough resources around it? So really thinking about from your audience perspective, who are they? What do they care about? And what are their concerns going to be? Can be really helpful in those moments. Then some of the other things around getting buy-in is, that's part of storytelling. So like think about what's your narrative, like a narrative that's going to resonate with your audience. Then I think it's also around co-creating. So it's not important about who has comes up with the best idea. It's important around who executes on the best idea. So diving in and really helping people get invested in your ideas. And, you know, you work with smart, ambitious people, leverage that. Work together on figuring out how can you make this idea better. So, for example, one of our Ascent Leadership Program members, Magda, she works at LinkedIn and she was working business development. And she went to her partner during like halfway through the like through the quarter, a new partnership opportunity came up. She knew it was gonna be like a great, uh, great win for LinkedIn. She went to her engineering manager pitched it and they're like, well, we already have the roadmap planned out for the quarter. Why are we changing it? And so really spending time and helping that team understand like, why is this a great new opportunity for LinkedIn? How does it help us all improve and really succeed? And then once they land on that, working together to map out what that solution looks like. Because once you have everyone's input on the solution, then they're going to be bought into it. They're not going to be like, oh, you're creating all this unnecessary work or like we should have done it another way because you're like, we did this together. And the biggest thing is, you know, when problems start happening, as they always do, it's just normal. The people are bought into the idea with you. They're going to stick through it even when there's challenges because they are like, this is also like, they feel ownership into it. And so I'd say like, those are a couple of things you can start doing right off the bat is like thinking about like, that storytelling piece, thinking about your audience, thinking about co-creation. And the last thing I'll say here is presence is also a big part of it. You know, so much of how much people trust us and are, com- are convinced of our ideas is around body language or how we communicate. The words we use shape how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us. So one thing is, you know, if you're guilty of saying sorry a lot, sorry, I have a question. Sorry, I have an idea. Stop saying sorry when it's not warranted. For example, maybe you say something like instead of saying sorry, can I have one minute of your time to say, can we set up some time to like chat about this? Why are you apologizing when you're talking to your teammate to get their input on something? You're both working towards the same goals. You're not using their time just for the sake of it. You're not wasting it. You need their input. And so just acknowledging that or also around like, sorry, I misunderstood. Like maybe you're not the one who misunderstood. Maybe they didn't explain their idea clearly. Why are you automatically assuming it's on you? And so, you know, that has been a huge win for people just realizing one, like how often they say, sorry. One of our members, I remember Kendi was like, oh, I say, sorry, even when I bump into a coffee table and I just say, sorry to the coffee table. And so, you know, it's just like one becoming aware of it and then tracking when you say, sorry, and thinking about all these replacements around it, what to say instead. And that in itself can be such a confidence booster, but also really strengthen how your ideas come across to people. I love that. And I I think that, I think something I 
struggle with is that some of those more diminishing terms make make you seem sometimes make you feel like you're seeming more palatable or your idea is more palatable to people. And if you come in too hot with like, here's my idea, this is what I want. Sometimes as a woman, it's off-putting. So I think that some of that language comes from like, sorry, like maybe like we can try this. And and then and then maybe, you know, people will listen. But that's just so counterintuitive. Like, why would people listen if you're sounding so um unsure of yourself? So I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, hundred percent. I know it comes from a place of good intent and people don't, you know, often I get the question in the program and like, how do I balance being direct and nice or nice and a leader? And I always, you know, ask that, like, why are those two things in conflict? And so even the examples that you gave right on are so spot on. Like I see that all the time. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, if you're on the receiving end and someone's coming to you with an idea and they're like, you know, I think maybe we should do this. What do you think? I'm not sure. Why are you going to follow it? Versus someone comes to you and be like, okay, here's the idea that I, I believe we should consider for these three reasons that comes across so much stronger. And so, you know, I would frame it less as being thinking about like, am I being nice or not, but actually talking about like, what is in what's like, why is this important to that person? So when we talk about, you know, your audience, you know, it's always tying back, like if you're sharing an idea, tie it back to like why they should care about it. And so it shows, especially because, you know, as you touched upon, there can be bias against women. So like show that care, show about like, here, I'm not just bringing this idea up for the sake of it or to add more work or to be difficult. I'm bringing this up because this will help us achieve like our goal for the quarter, or this will help us solve this problem that we have here. And it's completely okay to sometimes be like, here's what I'm thinking right now. It's not fully baked. I want to get your thoughts on it. So you don't always have to have a fully baked idea. It's okay if people don't agree with your idea. That's normal. It will happen sometimes. But at least setting yourself up with that same conviction that you might be feeling on the inside. And so using the words um, and then tying it back to around why should that person care can be really powerful. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, when we think about the leaders that we really admire and even studies show this, for example, like Google did a massive study around their managers. And one of the key traits is leaders who are able to get things done. You know, no one wants a flip-flopping leader. You just want someone to like set direction for me. And if that's who we look to in our leaders, then why shouldn't we embody it ourselves? And so just putting that lens up for yourself, like if you go in and you get rid of the sorries, and of course, say sorry, you actually make a mistake. This is just like when you're saying sorry, just to couch what you're going to say. But if you just go and saying like, sorry, or I just have a question, or I quickly have something to add, you're minimizing yourself and you're sending cues to others, whether or not you intentionally do it, that you know, don't, my ideas just don't have that much conviction behind it. And then people have less doubt around what you're going to share. I want to pivot to something that I know is like very important to the Ascend program, which is how to work with dominant personalities. Um, and, and how to especially get buy-in from people with dominant personalities who maybe, you know, sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum of what we're talking about are really pushing for their ideas and maybe sort of have a little bit of blinders on and are less receptive to ideas coming from other people, especially ideas coming from people who maybe preface it with a sorry or who aren't as, um, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but I will, uh, aggressive in their presentation of those ideas. So what, 
uh, and, you know, obviously without like giving away exactly what you're teaching in the curriculum, um, what are some of the things that you think are most important to consider with working with these dominant personality types? Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, first I would just describe like a dominant personality is someone who makes you feel like your opinions aren't valued, who makes it feel like they're not respecting what you have to bring to the table. And to be honest, I've been on both sides. I've been a dominant personality myself and I've also had to work with dominant personalities. And I know when you're working with them, it can feel so anxiety inducing, stressful, frustrated, just like shaking your head and you're like, oh, I really don't want to go into this conversation. Just that dread. And some strategies that have worked for me and have worked for so many of our members is around like three key things that you could do. One is winning the respect. If you don't do that, nothing else really matters. So, you know, establishing your credibility early, making sure they know like why you're at the table, what proven track record are you bringing? And then as part of that, it's also like thinking about your audience. So thinking about, you know, this person you're working with, how do they like to receive information? When we go back to like the know your audience questions, like what do they care about? What are their concerns going to be? And then shape your message in the way that resonates with them. You should, of course, do this with everybody you work with, especially when you're in these tough situations and working with more difficult stakeholders. A way to win respect faster is by leveraging allies. So having your manager or cross-functional partners, your teammates vouch for you, whether that's in advance or in a meeting, you share an idea and you know there's like you're going to be in a meeting with a, a dominant personality, tap your colleague beforehand and just ask them like, you know, if, if you like this idea, do you mind just speaking up around it in that meeting? Most of the time, people are happy to help. They might not think about it. And so if you just ask them, they're more than happy to like jump in and you're not asking for anything wrong. You're just making sure like your ideas that you're sharing are getting the visibility they deserve. And the third thing I'd say is don't take it personally. You know, when oftentimes like people, you don't know if that person had a really hard day at home or is under a lot of pressure at work or they don't even know how they're making you feel. Of course, that still doesn't make it okay, but it can be so empowering just recognizing that this is not about me. There's something else going on here. And I found that like when you walk into meetings, you realize like, this is not about me. It's such a confidence booster and just reminding yourself before you go into that meeting. And if you're really shaky, even putting a post-it in this virtual world on your computer, where it's like, this is not about me, can be so empowering. I know we had um, one of our members last year, Althea has, um, so she was a product manager and someone on the engineering side. I love engineers, by the way. These three examples are just working out. Um, was, uh, and, you know, was a really dominant personality. It was like really not listening to her opinions or what she has to say. And, you know, that product engineer relationship is so, so important. You need to have really close, um, really good harmony. And she used these strategies and also was just transparent with them. Like here, like when we engage, this is how it makes me feel. And you're speaking like this, I feel attacked. And that in itself was such a transformative moment because that person didn't even realize that's how he was making her feel. And they were able to talk it out. And, you know, it's not an easy conversation to have. Obviously, it's scary. You don't know how that person's going to react. But if you don't stand up for yourself, if you don't take these actions, then nothing's going to improve. And now they have a really thriving relationship and they are able to work better together. And actually now they joke about that conversation. Yeah, I've definitely had that experience with product managers before where 
something will be happening and I will react very strongly. Like, where is this coming from? Like, why I feel like so like there's so much chaos, like what's going on. This actually happened a couple of weeks ago. And my product manager like slacked me like, Hey, do you want to talk? And I was like, Ugh, no, I don't want to talk to you. Like I'm so annoyed. And then it all it took like to disarm me, me being the dominant personality in this situation was him just like jumping on a quick zoom face-to-face call and just being like, I'm sorry. You had to go through that. That was not what we were looking for. Like let's reset. Like I respect your opinion. And then I was like, okay, we're good. You know, like, I think everyone just wants to feel respected and like their opinion matters. And if you sense some tension, like a quick face-to-face or just acknowledging it, like, I think it's, it's sometimes it's awkward to acknowledge, like if you've made a mistake or, you know, you acted in, in a certain way, but it just goes so far to acknowledge it and just try to put it to rest and move on. For sure. I, I love that. And, you know, it is like, like you said, like sometimes it's just difficult to acknowledge the feeling, but because we do it so rarely, it's actually really very refreshing. And it's a level of vulnerability that can be so powerful. I always talk about like state the here and now feeling just like, how are you feeling in your mind? Whether you are addressing that, like in that situation that you just described Taylor, or it's around, you know, around like giving feedback and even just telling people, you know, I'm feeling nervous or I'm feeling really stressful, like stressed or anxious. Oftentimes people are like, oh, really? I didn't know that. And that once just putting your feelings out there is so helpful and just like reduces anxiety and makes you feel more comfortable. And then two, you're giving that other person in context on how you're feeling. And so they know, like when you're saying something, they know, you know, they have a bit of more color around it. So even if, you know, you're having a bad day and you're just coming and telling them like, I'm having a bad day or I'm stressed about this, maybe in the meeting when you're talking and it comes out a little bit more aggressive or, you know, just not very welcoming, then that person can add that layer of context in and like, okay, maybe this wasn't directed at me. It was like, it was just like, or we're short in time and they're just trying to get things done. Yeah. It kind of humanizes you more. I feel like, I don't know if other industries have the concept of retros, like a retrospective where at at the end of like a two week period of work, you have this time where everyone comes together and basically talks about what went well and what didn't go well. And I feel like that should just be standard across all industries because it's like really your opportunity. And I think some people don't use it to its full potential. Like they don't actually say how they're feeling because they're worried that that somehow is, I don't know, going to get them fired or like, I don't know. I don't know what they think because I'm not one of those people, but I'm always like, I'm feeling like demotivated like this. We have too many things going on. And like, those are the time that everyone after is slacking me, like, thanks so much for saying that. I'm like, you say it too. Like we can all, like, if we all are just putting it on, putting the cards on the table, then we can like fix what's going on instead of us just being like, everything's fine, you know, and not talking about how you feel. So I I feel like retro should be standard across industries. (laughs) I agree. hundred percent. I don't think they are, but I, I also recommend retros in the program and the people who aren't in product engineering or design and haven't heard about it. They're like, Oh, this is so smart. And they applied it and they found it so helpful. I want to talk more about the program, about uh, the Ascend program. Can we dive into, we've, we've like kind of talked a little bit about some of the topics already, uh, like imposter syndrome, obviously, and dealing with dominant personalities. But can you talk a little bit more about some of the other topics you cover and a little bit of like what that curriculum looks like? Yeah, for sure. So it's so in the six, it's a six week online leadership program for women. And really the topics we talk about are 
all the things that you need to know to succeed, to help you move up into management. So it's like, you're an IC and you want to learn how to get influence, gain confidence, develop leadership skills, or you're a new manager and really want to develop those foundational skills and want to have that influence too. And so the topics we talk about is, you know, around getting buy-in. So what are the requirements you need to do to get buy-in? What does that actually look like? What do you do when things don't go well, as they often do? Around imposter syndrome, as you mentioned, managing stakeholders is a big part of it. So much of our success is, you know, managing up and across and how do you align on the right expectations? How do you push back? What are the right strategies to do it in a way that like your relationship still remains intact? A lot around like giving and receiving difficult feedback. What do you do when someone's really defensive to that feedback? How do you handle that? That's always a stressful moment. Also around around like storytelling, how do you co-create? How do you build allies? All these things that, you know, are often on our minds, but we don't really talk about, we don't really know what to do. What does it mean to create your personal brand at work? And I'd say a big piece of it also is like, how do you advocate for yourself to get what you want? You know, people come in with a desire to like move up. I want to like get promoted to the next level, or I just got promoted and I want to be successful in that. And so really learning, I call this the Ascend Method. It's like really learning all the things that you need to do in order to succeed and move up into that next role. And what kind of outcomes have women seen after the course? Yeah. So I say like, a you know, really, and Monica, as you're sharing, like earlier, like we've had women from like all different sizes of companies and types. And so it's like from Google to Starbucks, Coca-Cola to Slack, Peloton, DoorDash, Twitter. And it's really consistently been around gaining confidence getting buy-in even from difficult stakeholders and really growing their careers. And so a couple examples of that, uh, we had Diana, she works in marketing at SAP and she joined the program right after she came off maternity leave. And what was amazing is she was able to, you know, apply the program learnings right away. She found herself getting better at buy-in and meetings. And then she um, very soon after the program got promoted and one of like, these are one of my favorite moments. Like she came back to me and she's like, guess what? funny I just got promoted and the program helped me do it I was like whoa that's amazing that has been I think so gratifying because you know we don't promise promotion there's so many factors that go into it but it's been amazing just seeing how many of our members have gotten promoted or succeeded in their new roles after that and I think it's also um you know that's so that was like a really big um that was super exciting and then on the confidence piece I'd say you know we I shared a lot around like getting by and I think on the confidence piece we had um one of our members last year, Richa, she was an engineer and her manager had been tapping her to get promoted to engineering manager for a while now, but she didn't feel ready. And so she was able, like, you know, after the program, she's like, oh, okay, I feel like I now have the skills around how to lead my team and how to support my team to, um, and then she felt confident enough to raise her hand for that promotion. And now she's able to like fully support her team. I think all like a lot of the fears that I had when I first got promoted to manager and I felt like an imposter, um, she was feeling the same and the program helped her realize one, that she is qualified, and two, also gave her the skills uh, to help her feel more confident in that new role. That's amazing. I, I was looking at your at your website yesterday, and I was curious, Do you are you leading all of the sessions yourself, or do you have a team of women who are also kind of coaching and, and leading these video sessions for you? Yeah, so I lead, so we have two live sessions. The way the program works is every week for the six weeks, we go through a new module. So it will be around storytelling or imposter syndrome or giving difficult feedback. And people will watch video lessons at their own pace beforehand. And then we'll come together for two live sessions. So the first one is on Tuesdays. It's our group discussion. 
That's where we'll review case studies. We'll go into breakout rooms. We'll have where people will discuss their challenges and the, you know, the prep work that they did. And then we'll come together for Q&A. So I lead that session. On Thursdays, we have circles. It's a one hour, really intimate discussion. We curate you into small groups. You meet the same group every week. In fact, people love it so much that many of them choose to keep meeting with their circle group even after the program finishes. And that is led by our alumni mentors. So these are just awesome women who've gone through the program, been super successful, and wanted to come back and like help other women be successful in their roles and really understand the learnings. And so that's led by them. And then the last part of the program is the exercises. So, you know, most of us learn by doing, and that's how we design the program. So everything we do in the program, the exercises that everyone applies it to work, whether it's like, okay, now you've learned how to give feedback, actually go do it at work and come back and tell us how it went. Or here's how you can structure your comment in a meeting using what we just learned. It sounds like such a great way to just build a community and like have kind of a sounding board. Um, and it, it sounds like what we're doing on like a larger scale <laughs> with, with like a lot of women just kind of talking about experiences and, and offering advice and and I just love that. I think we're both kind of partners in the same journey. Um, I wanted to, we, we talked about, uh, imposter syndrome, like kind of earlier in your career, but like in, in talking about ascend, have you had any moments of imposter syndrome, like specifically as a founder? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think there's like two instances that pop into my mind right away. You know, Ascend, I started out, it, Ascend is a, a self-funded business. And so I put my job in tech. I was like, I want to do something that will help move more women into leadership. Like I said, like, I believe that's how we create real change. One of the way, big ways that we create real change in our workplaces. And I decided to take a bet of myself. So I self-funded the business. And I think I really last year struggled with and still do somewhat now is around feeling like an imposter as a founder you know, when I looked around, all I saw were like white male VC-backed businesses, especially because I've grown up in Silicon Valley. And that just made me, and, you know, people could talk about like, here's how much money they've raised or who their investors are. And I don't have that. I, you know, and, but at the same time, when I had to like pull myself out of my own mind and like all the spiraling thoughts, I re- realized like, and I remind myself, I am really proud of what I built. I'm like happy with the decisions I've made, but it's so easy to get sucked into compare that comparison game that we we're talking about earlier. Even though, you know, half the time I feel like we compare ourselves to, we don't even know who we're comparing ourselves to, or we compare ourselves to people who have much more experience than us, or we have no desire to go down that path, but we still compare. Like my case, I was comparing myself to people who are building businesses who I greatly admire, but are building in a way that like is not the way I wanted to do it. And for them, it, it's the right decision, but that's not like what was my decision. And I'm fully on board with that. I think another one was actually last year, Forbes reached out for um, to write an article on Ascend and my story. And I was really excited and flattered by it, but I also didn't feel ready. So I almost sent them away and be like, can you come back later? Now, luckily I didn't, I, you know, I was like, this feels silly. I should do it. Especially, you know, I've taken so many lessons that we talk about in the program and applied it to my own. And we talk a lot about imposter syndrome and really just like and advocating for yourself and had to apply those and found them to be really helpful. And so, you know, did the article, went out, people loved it, got a lot of great like reception to it, uh, response to it. And that was also in itself, like so confidence boosting, just putting myself out there realizing and like the worst case scenario is not that bad. I was like, and so uh, I think those are two examples that pop into my mind that 
I've held myself back or created stress and anxiety in my mind and really had to force myself to reflect, to realize I am qualified or I am ready. That's amazing. I want to make sure that we also have time to showcase you aside from being a a founder and CEO of your own company as just a cool, normal gal. So you told, before we started recording, you told us that you now live in Berlin with your husband, which is already super cool. But what is something outside of work that you are looking forward to, or that is exciting you right now? Yeah. Um, I think so like the, the people interactions, I would say, you know, especially at this moment, uh, a big part of, so now we split our time between Berlin and California and just like the ability to travel when that opens up and being able to like travel around Europe or wherever else. It's just been so amazing getting to meet people in different cultures and getting to connect with them and just seeing how other people think and react. And and I love food. So having a meal with people and getting to bond over that, I think is really special. I know. um, So yeah, I think that people piece, I know for me, even in a sense, like the thing that I love the most is the people it's the community's, I describe it as high caliber, but low ego. And everyone's always cheering each other on. Like the energy in this audience is so, so good. And I'm excited to get to meet with people in person and like get to know them better. And just in general, just getting to have more of these interactions. I think we're all craving some of that personal interaction. It's coming. We're we're coming around the bend, you guys. Um, I I mean, I love everything that you said so much. The program sounds amazing. it really sounds, I love that, um, high caliber, low ego. Um, I hope people describe us that way, Monica. Um, <laughs> so Shivani, how can people learn more about Ascend? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, people can check out our website, weascend.co. Our program starts at the end of June. So there's an application on there and you can learn more about other people's experiences in the program, uh, there. And then I share a lot of leadership advice. So follow me on LinkedIn at Shivani Berry or on Twitter, Shivani S. Berry. That's my handle. And please reach out with any questions. I always love to chat and excited for getting in touch with more of your listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. This conversation was so fantastic. So much amazing knowledge you shared. And I'm so excited to share it with all of our listeners next week. Me too. Thank you so much, Shivani. Thank you. It's been an honor. I love what you both are doing and excited to support. We love what you're doing too. Keep it up. Thank you.